following is a message by a guest speaker given at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. Thank you very much, Pastor Sheldon, for that introduction. It's, it's really an, an honor to, to be here with you at, at Grace Family Church. You know, in a, in a sense, um, you know, I, I carry this church in my heart because I carry the pastors and their wives and their families in my heart. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's far more than just another opportunity um, to preach the scriptures. Um, and I'm particularly honored to um, what I understand to be the first guest preacher at, at Grace Family Church. Indeed, indeed. Um, and so I know that that's a, a unique blessing that the pastors here have extended to me. Um, so, you know, I've, I'm trembling a little bit, you know, as a, um, as a first foreigner to the pulpit. But there's also a, a, another honor that I have um, in preaching at the Caymanas Golf Club. Um, and I know Ryan Strong can relate to this, um, in that I used to come to plenty sessions here as a teenager. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a mark of grace um, that, you know, on a Sunday morning, I would be here preaching the scriptures. I want to greet my mother, who is in the audience. Hi, mommy. Um, and my, my wife and daughter are here as well. Um, and we're praying that my daughter gets settled at Grace Kids. So, I want to tell you about a gentleman by the name of Charles Dutton. He's a character actor that has a very interesting history. Before his success in television and film, he spent seven years in prison for manslaughter as a young man, and it was actually there in prison that he developed his interest in acting and participated in some plays. Upon his release, he got some small parts in Broadway, and, and then he extended his career into TV and movies. I don't have his picture to show you, um, but if I did, you'd recognize him. He's been in several films, Probably the most notable to us may be Alien 3 or Menace to Society. You can Google him. But he was interviewed one day and he was asked a question. How were you able to make the remarkable transition to go from those years in prison to becoming a movie star? And he said this, when I was in prison, I never decorated my cell because I wanted to be reminded every day that this place is temporary. I'll say that again. Charles Dutton said that he was able to make the transition from being a prisoner to being 
a successful Hollywood movie star because while he was in prison, he never decorated his cell as he wanted to be reminded every single day that this place was only temporary. I use that illustration because like Charles Dutton, we live in a prison of sorts. I'm referring to the world that we live in. You see, in the midst of all of the beauty in our world, and we can just look over there and, you know, we can easily say, boy, the world is a wonderful place. And surely, at Grace Family Church, on a Sunday morning, on the Caymanas golf course, um, it's easy to see that. Yeah, this is like a little slice of heaven. But by and large, we know that we are in a hostile environment with evils all around us. And so the reality is, based on the Word of God, which really gives us ultimate reality, the arc of Scripture shows us what the end of this world will be. The Bible actually tells us that God is going to wrap up this earth like a carpet and he will destroy it. And there will come a time where there will be a new heaven and a new earth. A very sobering reality which, honestly, we're not always in touch with. And so the aim of the sermon this morning is to look at the life of Moses as, as pointed out in Hebrews 11 and to see how intentionally Moses, driven by his faith, made certain decisions that resulted in him being able to reject what the world offers and to look at his eternal reward in Christ. And I think we are all in need of, of this text this morning because just, just like Charles Dutton, we have to fight the urge not to get too familiar in this prison that we are in. True? We have to fight the urge not to get enthralled by all of the pleasures and, and things that would, would seek to, to make us think that life will always be here. We can't afford to be assimilated to this world that we are in because it has an expiry date and we need to be looking ahead to our reward in Christ. I want to read the passage and then I'll pray. I will get right into it. You can turn, if you have your Bibles, to Hebrews, or nowadays you have a, your tap toe, right? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 to 26.
We're putting it on the, the screen as well, in case you don't have the scriptures with you. So I'll read. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Let us pray. God, we, we quiet our hearts before you this morning. Lord, we acknowledge that your scriptures is no light matter, that they demand our, our humility before them, God, our attentiveness in listening to them. And Father, we pray this morning that you would open our hearts, God, and, and allow your word to find good soil. God, that your word would bear fruit in our lives. That your intention behind your word, Lord, that it would have its full course in us and through us. Father, I pray for myself, God, that you would help me. Lord, that you would grant me everything I need Lord, to competently proclaim. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. And so the passage starts in verse 23. And who is highlighted here is, is not the faith of Moses. It's actually the faith of his parents. And in verse 24, we shift to the faith of Moses. So I've kind of broken up the passage into, into two sections. The first part, I call it the beginning of Moses' faith journey. And I believe the author didn't include this because it was a nice thing for us to know the background of Moses' life. I believe the author intentionally wanted us to understand the beginnings of this hero of faith and why the foundation or the beginning of his journey was so critical in shaping him to become the Moses that we know about, this grand figure in Israel's timeline. But you see, Moses was actually born to his parents, Amram and Jochebed, you know, unusual names. I can't say I've ever met any Amrams and Jochebeds, who were both descendants of, of Abraham. They were, 
from the tribe of Levi. And he was born to them in a very, very turbulent time. This is a time where there was a new pharaoh who was very unhappy with the rapid multiplication of the Israelites in Egypt. And he made an edict that said, all sons born of Hebrew women, that's Israelite women, were to be killed. That's how radical the Pharaoh was as it related to stopping the multiplication of these people in his nation. The midwives, Egyptian midwives, were instructed to kill the sons upon birth. But these women feared God and didn't do so, gave the Pharaoh a nice excuse. When that didn't work, the Pharaoh said, listen, all boys born to Hebrew women are to be thrown into the Nile. So Moses is born within this kind of environment. Crazy. Reminds you a lot of when Jesus was born and they kill all the children under two years old. So the scripture highlights the faith of Moses' parents that when he was born, they, they hid him for three months, but when they were unable to hide him any longer, they needed a solution. So creatively, in faith, they decided that they were going to make a basket and they line it with all kind of fancy things and they put it on the river bank, right in the reeds. So I guess it was kind of, you know, obscure and hidden a little bit. But there is something that the scripture says that's special about this baby. It says that the parents saw that he was beautiful as though that was driving their faith. We could easily overlook that small word because which parent doesn't think their child is beautiful, right? I see that daddy with his little girl, I'm sure if you asked him right now, um, he would have a lot to say. And she is beautiful. John Calvin had this to say when he commented on this passage about this matter of the beauty of Moses. He says, it seems contrary to the nature of faith that he says that they were induced to hide their child by the beauty of his form. We know that Jesse, that's King David's dad, was rebuked when he brought his sons to Samuel in the order of their physical excellence. And certainly, God does not hold us to external appearances. I reply that the parents of Moses were not induced by his beauty to be touched with pity and save him as mere men are commonly affected. But there was some sort of mark of excellence to come, engraved on the boy, which gave promise of something out of the ordinary for him. In summary, what Calvin was saying in all those fancy words was that the parents had a sense of the magnitude of the call of God upon baby Moses' life. 
which often is the case with parents of children with huge callings. You can recall Samuel in the scriptures. You can recall Jesus and his mother Mary. And so there was something driving his parents to be able to entrust their baby to be placed on the side of a riverbank that God would be the one that would watch over this child and the purpose for which he was brought into the world. And so the story continues, and it's a fascinating story, that Pharaoh's daughter comes and finds this little baby boy in the basket by the riverbank, and of course, he wins over her heart. She loves this baby boy. And, and I believe all creatively a part of Jochebed and Amram's strategy right there at the exact moment that Pharaoh's daughter is falling in love with the baby who comes running. Moses' older sister Miriam. And she says, oh my, I'm sure you need a Hebrew woman to nurse this little baby boy. And we can all imagine which mother she would recommend to play that surrogate role um, for this early time in a child's life. None other than his biological mother. And see, here it is, we have this really God set up that Moses' biological mother would get paid by Egypt to raise her own child. <laughs> now, can you imagine what these early years of Moses' life would have been like? These godly parents recognizing that they have only a window of opportunity to mold this child in whom they believe is a special call of God upon his life. You can imagine that they would have been deliberately training him in the history of their faith. They would have been teaching that baby boy as I'm sure before he could even understand <laughs> and be able to express anything about the fact that God had made a covenant with the patriarch of their ancestry, Abraham. And that he had made a promise to them of, of giving them a land and of making them their own nation and using them as a blessing to the nations of the world and that princes and kings would come from their lineage. Can you imagine? And how that, that, that covenant would have been repeated to Abraham's son Isaac and how God then repeated it to Jacob and how Jacob had 12 sons that would form the 12 tribes of this nation and that he was born in, in this special tribe called Levi and, 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 and letting him have such a rich understanding even of, of Joseph and how it was as a result of Joseph that they ended up in, in Egypt and how, how Joseph, just one verse before um, Hebrews 11.23, tells us about the fact that Joseph by faith told them not to leave his bones in Egypt because one day God was going to move them from Egypt to the place that he had promised to send them. 
to give them his own nation. So he had this whole mindset that, wow, okay, so I'm in Egypt, but, but really Egypt is only temporary because right now, you know, our people are, are in this place by the design of God and, and we would cry out to God and then God 400 years later would send us into the land that he had promised to us. And so you can imagine that by the time Exodus 2 verse 10 tells us that the child grew older, that the mother of Moses brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And so here it is, everything changes. This Hebrew boy who had this God-given opportunity to be shaped and molded by his parents, his godly parents, would now become the son of Pharaoh's daughter the grandson of the pharaoh of Egypt himself, even named by Pharaoh's daughter. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen preached a little sermon about Moses and, and it gives us some insight into what it would have been like for Moses to make this transition to now be raised in Egypt and Stephen says that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians that he was mighty in words and in deeds what a transition after being shaped by his Israelite parents he's now flung into deep deep Egyptian indoctrination. Stephen says he was trained in the wisdom of the Egyptians. I mean, so we're talking about everything. Yeah? Egyptian idolatry. Because Pharaoh himself saw himself as God. So you'd have learned the hieroglyphics and all of their hieratic scripts and you'd have been involved in copying those scripts, learning multiple languages so that he could have trade with all of these foreign entities that they traded with because of course they were a super power nation at the time. What a dynamic upbringing. This little Hebrew baby boy has now come to experience. And really, if we didn't know about the outcome of Moses' life, and I assume we all do, because of you know, just what a larger-than-life Bible character he is, we would have been left to wonder, at this point in his life, what would have come of this young man? Would he have remembered his early years of being shaped by his Israelite parents? Or would he get so lost in this new world of Egyptian indoctrination? I mean, had I not known the outcome of Moses' life, I must confess, I would have said, why? He would have long forget about 
Amram and Jochebed and, you know, the wonderful history of Israel and the covenant and the promises, I would have said he would have forgotten about that. And he would have been enthralled by his Egyptian lifestyle. I mean, it's no light matter to be the grandson of the Pharaoh himself. But our next verse takes us into the next section of this passage. And I call this next section the decisions that shape his destiny. In verse 24, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Wow. You see why verse 23 was so important? You see, we could easily have overlooked the natural trajectory of where Moses' life should have been heading if we didn't have an appreciation for those early years. Moses' refusal of the title as the son of Pharaoh's daughter was something that did not make any sense. Looking at that scenario, we would say, this boy mad. What kind of rubbish is that? That's sensible? And so clearly, this was a decision that was made by faith. You see, Moses was giving up a lot by rejecting that title. Not only was he missing out on all the benefits that would accrue to him, but he also put himself in danger's way by insulting the Pharaoh like that. That was a very costly refusal. And as I, I reflected on how do, we, how do we apply this to our own lives, I had to really do some thinking because our circumstances are quite different to Moses. Eh? Um, it's not really usual for us to have been adopted at birth by a royal family. And so it, it's not the easiest thing for us to be able to relate to the significance of, of the refusal that Moses did. But I believe that, but in another way, we can all relate to labels being placed on us by the world around us. The expectations that are placed on us by virtue maybe of our family of origin, by virtue maybe of certain qualities and features that people see in us and they begin to label us in certain terms. 
Some of them may not even be negative. I mean, certainly being the grandson of Pharaoh was not a negative thing. But the issue was that it was in conflict with who God had called Moses to be and what God had called Moses to do. And so some of the labels that people place on, up, place on us are not necessarily negative titles or labels, but they come into conflict with the call and purpose of God on our lives. So whether good labels or bad labels, we have to, like Moses, be willing to reject those labels in order to be or to do what God has in mind. Personally, I know growing up as a teenager, I've grappled with my own labels, you know, just based on, you know, teenage exploration. You know, you smoke a little ganja, I mean, probably more than a little, and them call you a weeded. You know, you decide you want to have a girlfriend, maybe two, maybe a few more, and then they label you a gallus. My wife doesn't like to hear that, right? It's, I'm a new man, honey. Amen. But I don't know what it is for you. I, I, there's a story of a gentleman that goes by the name of Lord Baron von Veltz. I notice I said Lord. He rejected his title in Europe, his estates, his revenues, because he wanted to become a missionary to British Guyana. Today his body fills a lonely grave there. And at the time he renounced his title of being Lord to become a missionary. He wrote this. He said, what is it to me to have the title well-born when I'm born again in Christ? What is it to me to have the title Lord when I desire to be a servant of Christ? What is it to be called your grace when I have need of God's grace? All these vanities I throw away and I lay at the feet of my dear Lord Jesus. And so did Moses. Laid down all of the world's prestige in order to fulfill the call of God on his life. My friend who lives abroad is pastor. You know, he's bivocational. He pastors a church and he also has a nine-to-five job and he was offered a promotion in his workplace. Attractive promotion that, that would involve him flying regularly, you know, at least once a week. And the increase in salary was very attractive. And he refused the position. He refused the position on the basis that it would have affected the very thing that he believed God had called him to do. You see, you don't make decisions like that from a logical point of view. Moses 
had to. Have come to the place of appreciating the significance of the call of God on his life, his identity as, as one of God's chosen people, and seeing that as more valuable than anything that came with the title of being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And to me, that's a tremendous example for all of us. And so my prayer, my prayer for us is that like Moses, we would have, we would have that appreciation of the significance of identifying with our God-given calling and identity. The text transitions. You see, once Moses had a sense of who he was and what God had called him to do, it affected what Moses delighted in. In verse 25, it says that Moses chose that rather, sorry, let me, let me say this over so the sentence flows. You can't really read 25 without 24. So 24, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You see, what Moses gave up was not only a title and a position of power and authority. What Moses also gave up was all the pleasures of the world being readily available to him at his fingertips. Can you imagine that, that any single thing that your eye desired, that it wouldn't have been withheld from you? We're talking about, if we were to put him in, in a modern day scenario, Moses had access to, to yachts and, and villas, both locally and overseas. Moses could have his own private jets. Moses could have any lady on the planet of the earth that he desired. You know, it could have been an arrangement on a regal level. Moses had anything he wanted at his disposal. Yet Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy those pleasures. <laughs> But I believe what happened to Moses was very similar to what happened to Solomon. You guys remember the story of Solomon? How Solomon decided that, that he wanted to experience every single pleasure on the face of this earth so that he could understand what is the meaning of life. Is the meaning of life pleasure? 
is the meaning of life possessions is the meaning of life doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it and we know the end of Solomon's story Solomon said boy is meaningless I believe Moses discovered that quickly because of his upbringing because he was shaped to believe that what was in Egypt could never truly satisfy him but let's be honest Grace Family Church because you know though we are we are in church it would be it would be easy for us to overlook the reality of the pleasures of sin the Bible said it the Bible says that he did not enjoy the pleasures of sin so the Bible you know I tell you that there is pleasure in sin you see if there was not pleasure in sin then it would certainly be easy to leave sin behind <laughs> but the reality is that sin is quite alluring and attractive it makes you feel good but the thing about sin is that like a bad business sin promises much but delivers very little you know some businesses like that right I like what Ravi Zacharias has to say he says sin will take you farther than you want to go but keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay that's good Meanwhile, the psalmist in Psalm 16:11 says, "You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand. Our pleasures forevermore." You see there is a there's a real option that we have to indulging in the pleasure of sin. And that is the joy of the Lord. I testify personally about this. I mentioned earlier that I, I used to smoke ganja, but I would describe it really as a psychological addiction. It became something for me as an 18-year-old that, that I relied on ganja to kind of help me to have a clear mindset. To help me to to be able to navigate my environment because I couldn't reconcile the world that I was living in. I just felt like this world didn't make sense. It's crazy. I don't understand what, why are we here? What's our purpose in life? How do we reconcile poverty and violence? And and so I smoked, and it kind of helped me to to tune out all the things I didn't understand. And it put me in a good mood, and so I, I developed this dependence psychologically on weed. But then I became a Christian at 18, and immediately 
I had no interest in smoking anymore. I had the joy of the Lord. I had peace. So the things that I was looking for in this substance, the Spirit of God, no, filled my life with it. And so, the reality of, of God being able to give us more than fleeting pleasures, I believe is something that Moses tapped into. Moses recognized that, that regardless of what Egypt could offer him, he had something that would be more fulfilling, more lasting than anything that would have come with being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I love the C.S. Lewis quote. It says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to make mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. I love that quote. You see, Moses' faith caused him to look forward to a reward that outweighed any single thing that Egypt could offer him. I'm challenged by that. You see, the reality is that there's so many things in this earth that we can look to and get enthralled in that can pull us in. Some of them not even sinful per se, but they consume us and in a sense they replace God in our lives. Scripture says, do not love the world because the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, it says those things are not from the Father. Matter of fact, they compete with the love for the Father. If you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. We can't be enthralled with the world around us and yet be in deep fellowship with God. And so Moses made that choice. And so the point, and I, and I forgot to give you my first point. My first point was they don't know, but you must know. So they won't know your identity, but you must know your identity. You must know who God has called you to be. But my second point is don't be too easily pleased. Let's not settle for mud pies like that child that C.S. Lewis talks about using dirt and dust to try and make something nice when God is offering you a holiday in the sun on the north coast. Let's not settle for the lesser thing that would enthrall us but be fleeting while we could be enjoying the pleasures of God and the joy of the Lord forevermore. 
Let's not be too easily pleased. Let us, like Moses, by faith, begin to catch a glimpse of the reward and all that God has for us. Tune into a different frequency from the one of this world. Into eternal pleasures and joys. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ. Greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Verse 26 is really fascinating to me. It says that Moses considered the reproach of Christ. That word reproach there, you could, you could say it's the disapproval, the rejection. So, so the disapproval and the rejection that Christ suffered was what Moses chose. It's fascinating to me because I'm thinking, what does Moses have to do with Christ? Moses didn't even know who Christ was, per se, because that would have been thousands of years after but i believe what this is telling us is that that when you suffer for doing the will of god or being the people of god that this is counted by god as suffering with christ for christ and and and, and for the sake of the gospel and the reason for that is because christ identifies with the suffering of his people I want to illustrate this in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, that Jesus confronts Paul on the road to Damascus. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? No, Saul was persecuting the Christians. But Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? While Saul was persecuting the believers, Jesus so identified with their suffering on his behalf that it's as though they were persecuting Christ himself. You see, there's this identification that occurs with Christ when we suffer as a result of our identity and the call of God upon our lives. And it should be no surprise to us because if Jesus was willing to identify with us in our sin, if he was willing to take our place of punishment on the cross, then how much more would he identify with our suffering on his behalf when we suffer righteously? This is profound to me. You see... Moses was able to tap into something that the New Testament believers clearly understood. That there was a value and a treasure in suffering for your faith. Time doesn't permit me to show you verse after verse where the apostles would write about the fact that they rejoice in their sufferings because for them it was a privilege that they got to suffer on behalf of their Lord 
There was a, 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 a little illustration I wanted to give about a medical doctor, Dr. Helene Rosevere, who went and served as a missionary in Zaire, Africa. And the short of the story is that they were about to kill her, and a 17-year-old stepped in in front of her and took the beating on her behalf, and he was nearly left for dead. And she cried out to God, and she felt like, God, you have really just forsaken me. I'm out here serving these people, and this is what has happened. And she said that she, she I don't know if it was an impression or a vision or what, but she says that God spoke to her. And God said to her, 20 years ago, you asked me for the privilege of being a missionary, the privilege of being identified with me. These are not your sufferings. They are my sufferings. And she was overcome with a great source of privilege that came with being able to identify with her Lord in this regard. That kind of mindset comes only by faith. That comes from people who, who what they long for is being in union with Christ. You see, the scripture says that, that Moses was able to choose to be mistreated with the people of God and, and to consider the reproach of Christ as greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking for the reward. It says that Moses was looking for the reward. That's my third point. My third point is look for the eternal reward. The eternal reward my friends, is, is Christ himself. He is our treasure. He is the one that we long to identify with. He's the one that we long to share communion with. He's the one that, 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 that the next verse tells us that Moses endured by seeing him who is invisible. You see, for Moses, though, though his Christ, his God, was invisible, he had a clear sight of his Christ. He was looking for his Christ. He was looking to be with him. He was longing for him. Moses' view was heavenward. And that's the, that's the nature of genuine faith. The nature of genuine faith is not only believing that God exists, but he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so I'm challenging us this morning as I close this message that the example of Moses is, as, is an example of refusing things that would prevent us from embracing who God has called us to be and embracing what God has called us to do. 
and it's not going to be easy. Like Moses, in certain respects, it may be costly. What are you prepared to refuse for the sake of the call of God on your life? What pleasures are you prepared to refuse? What things may be dominating your life right now? But if you were to admit it, you'd say, I'm way too easily pleased. What less, lesser treasures are you refusing? I like the way the psalmist says it. He says, I will not look on worthless things. What worthless things are you allowing to dominate your heart and your mind that's contaminating your devotion to Christ? By faith, God would call you to let some things go. By faith, some of us need to, 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 to let go of our, of our sinful lifestyle or elements of sin in our lifestyle. Or maybe it's not even sinful but there are some things that are nominal that are, that are hindering our devotion for God. But not only should we refuse some things, like Moses, we should choose some things. What is it that God is calling you by faith to give yourself to choosing? Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God. Perhaps it's your corporate identity that the Lord is challenging. You're accustomed to being a lone ranger and doing things on your own, on your own terms. But like Moses who went and gave himself in service of his people, perhaps that's what God is calling you to choose. To make yourself available to others. To use what he has placed in you, the gifts and the abilities. Remember how unsure Moses was of himself? How many excuses Moses put to God about being the deliverer for Israel? And God time and time again encouraged him, put a staff in his hand, and God let him know and assured him that he would be with him. And the end of the story is that God used him phenomenally by faith to deliver his people. What is God calling you to choose by faith? It, it may be costly. It may cause some, some radical shift in the way that you live and the way that you function and in the way that you operate. Perhaps there's some suffering that you know choosing or refusing may bring to your life. It may cost you. It may bring some disapproval of others in your life. It may bring some shame. It may bring some pain. It may be difficult. There may be some hurdles that you have to overcome in order to, to choose to be faithful to God in that way. And I want to assure you that when you suffer for the sake of Christ and His gospel, that you're identifying with the suffering of Christ Himself. And you can rejoice in that place. For like the doctor in Africa, it is there that you will be closer to Christ than you've ever been. And so, so, so honestly, sometimes the Lord brings 
some troubles in our life. The Lord brings some difficulties. He brings some challenges and he allows it to take place to shake us up from our comfort zones. Because perhaps if we didn't get shook up, then we'd be so enthralled and comfortable with the world around us that he wouldn't have our attention, that we wouldn't be looking beyond our regular flow. Because nobody likes to interrupt their routine and their flow and their comfort zone. But God is calling you perhaps to make some decisions that will be costly and will take you out of your comfort zone. But where the purposes of God will be fulfilled. You have just listened to a message by a guest speaker given at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.